It is chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, which Ginger read for us. And I want to point out to you verse number 11. I think when you see that verse, you'll go, "Eh, can you point us out another verse? I don't want to hear that one. (laughs) Of course, you all all know that I, um, I spend time in these verses letting God work through me as well. And when I do... The uh, power of it, uh, I have to let it resonate with me. And that verse on the screen tells you, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? This mammon thing, we kind of mess it up. We call it money. It's not money. It is not even close to being money. But I wanted to have a little fun with this. So, I took this verse and I took it to a CPA, Certified Public Accountant. And I had some questions about what Jesus was talking about here because He's talking about a man who was managing this guy's wealth for him and he was stealing, basically. And so I asked him if he had heard of this passage and he said, I am very familiar with that passage. And he said, as a matter of fact, did you know that Jesus talked about money more than any other subject. And He said it's not even close. It's like 2,000 verses to 100 for the next most popular. I said, I did not know that. He said, it's amazing if you, what you would learn from Jesus about it if you wanted to learn. But most people think they already know how to manage it. Well, if you have some, you spend it. That's how you manage it, right? That's how you manage money. No, it's not how you manage money. But if that's how you think it is, you're not going to like this sermon. Or maybe you will later. But I had a question. A very specific question. Because it talks about this guy who took the master's stuff, all of the stuff that people owed him, and it was large sums, a thousand gallons of oil, basically, and uh, several thousand bushels of wheat that these different people owed to the, his master, And he told them, basically, some of them cut your bill to what you owe in half. And the manager was very impressed, or not the manager, but the owner, the rich man, was very impressed, saying, he did this, and now he's going to find favor with these people. Now, of course, you might think, well, the rich man could just go to those folks and say, well, you know, he really didn't have my authority. But these people are already overjoyed. And His generosity they're thanking Him for. And He didn't do it. And so, He was understanding that this manager of His finances put the rich man in a very precarious position. Because if He says, no, that wasn't intentional, that was a mistake on His part, then He looks like He's dishonoring the contract That he's really being an ungenerous man. And if he honors it, he's lost a lot of money. In that society, you go with the lower price. Hospitality is key. And that's what he knew he would have to do. And so did this very shrewd manager. And so he says this, verse 11, uh, that you have... Excuse me, the verse before that where he says that the children of this generation, in uh, verse 8, I said 11, 
Verse 8, he says, The children of this generation are more wise than the children of the light with the way they handled things. I didn't like that verse. And and so I asked him about verse 8. And he he said, what do you want to know? I said, alright, if spirituality and the way we live our lives with God was similar to how most people handle their money, how's our spirituality doing? He said, y'all in trouble. (laughs) Bad trouble. And I said, why is that? He says, because most people don't know how to manage money. I would even venture to guess if I'd have had a conversation with Marty, he would have told me that it takes someone who knows money and what to do with it, how to handle it. You can't just go, well, I got money, let's just, you know, do this, do that. It takes planning. It takes knowing what to do with it. It's not something where you can just go, okay, let's put it over here and do this and leave it. That is kind of like the one who buried the talent and never grew the money. So, we're in bad shape. But I, I, I'm i a curious kind. I said, are you saying then that everybody who is spiritual is a bad money manager? And he said, no, there are basically three kinds of people. Not counting the ones who don't manage their money and don't manage their spirituality. There are three kinds of people. One, the kind who manage their money well but are horrible with their spirituality. Two, the kind that do very well spiritually, but are horrible with their money. And he said there's a very rare, he said, I don't see it often, but there's a very rare soul that comes through that is good at both spiritual and money affairs. And I thought about that for a moment and I said, well, that's interesting because he just confirmed verse 8 for us that those of this world are more shrewd than those who are spiritual because we're not real good at handling spiritual things. I began to learn this lesson inadvertently back in December and in early January As most of you know, I was working at Four Rivers Behavioral Health. And I had some leave time built up, but I was planning to transition to a new job in January. But Four Rivers policy is, if you resign, you lose your leave time. So what did I do? You all know what I did. I took my wife on a cruise and down to New Orleans uh, right after Christmas. I used my leave time at Four Rivers to go and use that time. And I, and I looked at my leave time and I said, well, I still have more. So I took another day before I went back to work. And then that day when I got back to work, I put in my 10-day, two-week notice. And they said, you're supposed to give us a month. And I said, I know. And when you gave us this 10-day, two-week notice, you lose all your leave time. I said, I know. But because of their policy, I couldn't give them a month. You see, I was being shrewd with my time off and being able to continue to work and have benefits which would then continue through the end of January until the benefits started with the new job in February. All this I planned and it took me several days to figure it all out. And even um, one night here, John made a suggestion to me and I said, I didn't even think of that. So I had to be shrewd. And I thought, it took a while to figure that out. 
And then I came across this passage and God said, you remember how you did that with that uh, transition of your jobs? I said, yeah. He said, why don't you work that hard on your relationship with me? Uh, I said, I do. And he goes, really? You fret and fritter and worry about a nickel here and a dime here about the stuff you're doing with your resources for my kingdom. Mm -hmm. No, not the money, God. You know, I pray... You know, I go to church. He said, you're the pastor. <laughs> but I go twice a week. He goes, you're still the pastor. I go on Sunday night, God. Aren't I doing the right? You're still the pastor. What are you doing above and beyond to show that you love me? Well, you, got, you know, I study the Word. You go and you're preaching the Word you're studying. What are you doing above and beyond that? Mm-hmm. How are you showing me that this is not something that's just an occupation to me? And I said, God, are you trying to say that Jesus was telling the truth? That those who shrewdly manage this world stuff don't apply the same principles to their spiritual life very often. Guilty. Guilty. So if believers don't manage money well, how do we handle grace? Isn't that the thing that God offers to us in Christ Jesus through Calvary? How are we handling that? We sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like I was. No, like me. Like I think I still am. Because I'm still singing a song that should say amazing grace that saved a wretch like I was. But me didn't rhyme with the way the word was would have done so incorrectly. So he wrote it that way. Then he said, I once was lost, but now I am found. That's the good news. I once was blind to the light and grace of God, but now I can see. Great thing. Absolutely. But some of us go back to being lost and blind. To the very fact that we've been saved from old works. You see, grace is not a commodity. According to the book of Romans, verses 1 and 2 in chapter 6, God says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, if God gave grace by sinning, then God, I ought to sin some more because you're going to forgive me. And if I am forgiven by sinning, I ought to sin a lot so I can have more grace. And God, since I want to do this thing here that you might not be pleased with and your grace is available, you'll just forgive me anyway. Verse 2, Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? But we think it's a commodity still. It's based on assumption that God is merciful. Mm-hmm. Listen to me. Mercy and grace are not synonymous. They are not the same thing. We have learned a graceless grace. This assumes that grace is a permanent state of affairs. It is not a permanent state of affairs. We think like this. Well, God will probably forgive me for this. <laughs> I'd rather ask forgiveness and permission. 
Or we say, well, God didn't strike me down. It must be all right. He said, I would die if I sinned. I'm still here. Same thing Adam used, you know. I ate the fruit and I'm not dead. God, you were wrong. I'm still kicking. But what we forget about the Scripture where God's forbearance and patience with us is only for the purpose of salvation. It's not more time to bargain in sin. Do you get what I'm saying there? Grace's purpose is to draw you closer to God. Not to give you an excuse not to get closer. It's not giving you freedom to roam. <laughs> the only time roaming is good is when you used to have those old cell phone plans. <laughs> and then you got one that covered everything. Mm-hmm. One day, our stewardship of the measure of grace that God has given us is going to be called into an account. Mm-hmm. What did you do with my grace? And God's going to tell us, I am a God of justice. Let's balance the scales. You knew I was a God of vengeance, a righteous and wrathful God, but you thought I was just kind, loving, passive, you must accept me and then you're okay with me type of God. And you dumbed me down and tried to usurp me of my authority. And my power by thinking that grace was bigger than who I am. That didn't work. When God says He's a God of justice, He is merciful, but He's also a consuming fire. We forget this. And we don't steward grace with that awareness that one day we have to give an account for it. We fritter it away and we ask for more. And God, I messed up again the same thing. I need more forgiveness of the same thing I keep messing up with. What's wrong with me? When we come to give an account and we see that God is merciful but also a consuming fire, at that moment there will be no more grace. And you better pray hard that there's some mercy. Because at that moment, God's going to ask you some questions. I'll ask them to you right now. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your resources? How do you spend your money? How do you spend your grace? Are you a wise steward of those things, including the grace of God in your life? Please don't answer that to me and go, oh, you know I am, Pastor. Don't answer that way. Jesus said you are not. If you want Him to put Luke 16, 8 back up, it says you are not wise stewards. Oh, but Jesus, Jesus said it. That's our sermon series. Jesus said it. We argue with it. We say, no, Lord, I'm doing really... We compare ourselves to other people, to other things, to other ideas and the way we think things should be. Some people say, look, I'm prospering, therefore God's blessing me. I must be in good shape. That's been the lie since the time of Jesus and before. Prosperous, you must be God's blessing. It's not true. Some people are prosperous who could care less about God. 
But money is not the same as blessed. Take note. Listen. Jesus said, we are not wise stewards of grace or our resources or our money or our time. If we were, Jesus wouldn't have had to tell this parable to us as children of the light. Oh, I don't like to hear Jesus correct us, but what if He didn't and He let us stay the same? Mammon is what He's talking about. Mammon is the spirit of something other than God trying to be in God's place. If you didn't catch that, I'll say it again. Mammon is the spirit of something other than God trying to be in God's place. Now money is not mammon. There are two kinds of spirits that can be on money. The spirit of God or the spirit of mammon. To put the spirit of God on your money, your first 10% goes to the church, to God, to His work. Then the rest of it is redeemed and blessed. And the Spirit of God is upon it. And God will bless you with what you do with that. If you do not do that, the spirit of mammon is upon it. And you begin to think either with the spirit of pride or the spirit of poverty. The spirit of pride says things like this. When someone compliments you, say, um, on a new outfit that you're wearing. Or an outfit that you're wearing, even if it's not new. And the spirit of pride says, yeah, it's one of those European brands that uh, costs lots of money. That's pride. Mm -hmm. Making people think that you're important because of what you own and possess. Spirit of poverty says, this old thing, it was given to me. Spirit of poverty says that I don't want to look like I'm materialistic. So I'm going to play down this thing as being unimportant. When the Spirit of God is on something and someone says, that's a nice outfit, you say, thank you. Isn't God wonderful? You don't have to add anything else to that. It's a compliment. Thank you. Don't pass it off with pride or with the spirit of poverty and you're now walking in God's blessing. We do it all the time, don't we? Someone once complimented me on my van. I said, thank you. God really blessed us with this van. And He did. Some people see our home and say, that's a really nice home. For a while, I had the spirit of poverty on it. I said, well, it was a foreclosure. And I said, you've you got to hear the story of what God did. This home was more than what we could do. But God made a way that seemed to be no way for us to have it. And it wasn't because it was a foreclosure. It's because God saw to it that He wanted us to be there. It was all God. It wasn't because it was a foreclosure. It wasn't because it was a better home than what we could afford. It was because God wanted us to have it. It was all about God. People live in spirit of poverty or materialism, or if you will, pride, talk about the things. People who've got the Spirit of God on them talk about God. It's all about God with them. You understand, we are stuck in this mentality, and, and I hear it all the time. And, and I, I don't know if you've heard these things, but 
I don't know how you couldn't live and heard someone say this, but they say, if I had more money, all my problems would be solved. That's what they say. You know, I wouldn't be in debt. I could pay my bills. I could have a, you know, I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, my children's finances. I wouldn't have to do this. If, if all I had was more money, does that not sound like you're trying to put money in the place of what God's supposed to do? Sure it does. That's the spirit of mammon. Money takes the place. If I had more money, I'd be better. No, if you have God and honor God, things will be better. It starts with God. Some people say, you know, if I had more money, I'd be happy. I'd start helping others more. Or or start helping others. I'd do so much for the church, you know, or at least I'd start giving some on Sundays. That's nonsense. That's absolute utter nonsense when people say that. You won't be smarter with your money because you have more of it. You're not going to be more generous because you got more. You're still going to be you with more money. And maybe you play that money hand. This is the spirit of poverty saying, I can't afford that. My dad grew up in a depression. He had that. We can't afford that. All of a sudden, he'd buy a brand new car, and I'd go, We got a new car? He goes, Yeah, we just bought it. I thought, We can't afford stuff, Dad. I think he was trying to tell me when I wanted a bike or a stereo or some other thing. We can't afford that. But when they wanted something, they could afford it. So I was thinking that maybe that just applied to the kids. There were seven of us, after all. But that's the mentality that says, I can't afford anything, and I can't afford it because I have no money. People will say that because they use what they do have foolishly. God can't give you more until you become wise stewards. This passage we read out of Luke says, if you're unfaithful in a little, He's not going to give you more to show how unfaithful you can be with more resources. If you're a mess in one area, you're not going to get more of it from God and expect Him to bless you for it. As a matter of fact, I like this statement when it comes to finances or resources. God won't give you more than you can handle. He won't give you more money than you're going to waste. He's not going to bless you for wasting resources. But I hear people a lot of times, they'll come um, up to me. I've... Over the years, as a pastor, you know I'm going to hear this a lot. I need help with my bills as I have no money. I spend it on stuff that is not bills or food. Addictions like that. I spend all my money on drugs. I don't have any electric. Can you help me? The only part we hear is, I don't have a way to pay my electric. Can you help me? They don't talk about the other stuff or their foolishness because then they know you won't help them. They're trying to play the money card. Sarcastically, I ask people, you mean you spend stuff, money on stuff that isn't bills or food like a tithe? Uh, you sound like a preacher. That's what I hear when I say that. So, how much do you tithe on what you get? I ask them that. Do you know what they say? I can't afford it. However, you get the check, 
and they can afford something else. We are not wise stewards, and we don't know how to be. Here's the truth. Most of us don't budget. Most of us spend on feelings. And then we wonder where it all went. Mm-hmm. And most of us don't like to hear talk about a tithe or giving offerings. And that's how we manage God's grace too, isn't it? I'm not talking a sermon about tithing, folks. This isn't about tithing at all. I'm talking about grace. But we handle finances much like we handle grace. We think they're both commodities rather than a gift. Boy, I got really quiet after I said, I was expecting, you're right, Pastor, I need to repent. And I didn't hear that. All I heard was, um, why is he talking about this? I don't want to hear this. No, we don't want to hear this because then we have to examine ourselves. That's what a responsive reading was about that I wrote in our, in our prayer of confession. We're not using the resources God gives us for God. Amen. This passage in Luke 16 says something so profound, we miss it. And I don't know um, if you ever thought about this, but I love it. I absolutely love it. He says in verse 11... Therefore, if you've not been unfaithful, if you've been un... Let me try that again. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? See if you're with me on this, alright? It says unrighteous mammon. Unrighteous mammon is the mammon that hasn't been blessed by God and offered to God. He says, how can you be faithful if you're not faithful and unrighteous, how can God give you something better? And I thought, wait a minute. I thought I was supposed to be faithful in the righteous mammon. Why didn't He say that? You haven't been faithful in the righteous mammon. Because we haven't made it righteous. We haven't given the grace back to God. And extended it to others. We just said, well, I just need more so I can do what I want. Rather than saying, that person needs more grace. Let me bless them with more grace because I have enough. God brought me into the kingdom. I have enough grace. I don't need to do some stuff to make Him need more on me. Let Him spend it on somebody else. Let me be gracious to another. That would be faithful in the righteous mammon. But He says we've been unfaithful in even the unrighteous mammon. Which means we haven't even given God's grace or any resources we have first back to God. And so how can God bless us with righteousness and abundance if we're not even using the stuff that isn't His for Him? Gives us a clue of where we're at, doesn't it? I told you, I don't like this message, but it's still true. Jesus said it. It doesn't change the fact. It's true. I wish it did. I wish I didn't have to share this with you, but if I, if I didn't share this with you, God would be holding me accountable. Hmm. You know, 
I don't always think about this moment in the message where God says it's time, but today I did. Putting this last part in, very intentional this morning, folks, because I know what this makes us want to do. It makes us want to hear it and go, yeah, that's a good idea. I need to honor God. Okay, I'll do that. But no idea how to do it. Do we go to a CPA of God's grace? Do we use book accountants for our finances, but not our grace? How do we, what do we do with it? God, you blessed me with this sum of money today. How do I, where do you want it? God, what's a tithe and how much is an offering? Where does, what do I do with it? We don't know. And that's the problem. We don't know. No one has ever helped us walk through this because they don't do it either. I can't tell you you tithe on grace. I can tell you you extend it. You don't tithe on God's love. You extend it. Your resources, your time. You offer it to God. To Him. And what this says is, when this person is faithful in the unrighteous mammon, you'll be welcomed into everlasting homes. This is verse 9. He says, make friends by unrighteous mammon. That means use the stuff of this world to bring other people into the kingdom of God. That's what it means to bless people with the stuff of this world so they know that your loyalties to God and you want to bless them. And one day when you fail, it says, but the word here is meaning die. One day when you die, they who you gave this unrighteous mammon to, or if you will, made a friend by, that they will receive you into an everlasting home. And now listen to this change. And this is where this gets fun. Because to make a friend by unrighteous mammon means that you're using the world's goods to bring a godly eternal purpose into their life. That you've invested what God has given you into them. We've stewarded it over to them. Like this wise steward didn't says, take the master's bill and cut it in half. <laughs> Imagine if you were a steward of God's grace and led them to Jesus Christ, how thankful they would be that they will be in eternity because of you. They will welcome you into heaven and say, because of you, I am here. That is how you make a friend of unrighteous mammon that they will welcome you into an everlasting home. Imagine the line of people that could be there when you pass over into eternity and they say, because of you, I'm here. Thank you. Ray Bolt sings that song, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am one who was saved. Thank you for giving to the Lord. A lot of people use that for an offering, but I'm telling you, it's talking about grace and kindness and the love of God you show on people who don't expect it. This is being a wise steward of God's grace. 
And it makes no sense to us because it doesn't help us right now. So, Pastor, what do I do? Hmm. Well, I'm glad you asked. I got three things. The first one, repent and acknowledge before God you've mismanaged His grace, money, and time. And you go, Pastor, you know, I didn't do that. Go read Luke 16 again. Jesus says we all did. We all have mismanaged it some way. So repent. Acknowledge before God. You don't have to do it before me. You tell me I'm going to go join the club. We're all part of the human race. We all have. But Jesus is saying, believers did this. Children of the light who should know differently. So we need to repent. Second, ask God to help you to rearrange your priorities so He truly is first. Proverbs 3.6 tells us, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. He's first. Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything else you worry about, that will come along. Mm-hmm. He was talking about mammon then as well. Alright, that's the second thing. Third thing, and this is the one where we, we can do those first two things. You know, I can rearrange my priorities, I can repent, it doesn't take much time to do all that. Third thing is where it's going to take time. And if you're really serious about this, you better remember this one. I'm going to say it twice in case you don't want to hear it. Get accountability in all areas of your life. Easy, huh? I just threw it out there. Get accountability in all areas of your life. It's at eight words. Mm-hmm. I think that if you do that, you won't have to worry about giving a final account because you have been doing it all along. Mm-hmm. I'll say it as plain as I can say it. You will give an account before a powerful God who's going to demand justice. He's going to ask you, did you thwart my grace's purposes in the world and in your life? Did you misspend your resources? I need to know that you understand that my son said you were. Did you acknowledge he was telling you the truth? Mm -hmm. Or did you ignore him like scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees who ended up crucifying him out of their life? The end result is if you don't hear the words of Jesus Christ as truth, you end up crucifying Him out of your life too. The question is, are you a child of the light? Does this word make sense to you? And if so, the three steps. Repent and acknowledge before God you've mismanaged His grace, money, and time. Ask Him to help you rearrange your priorities so that He truly is first. And then get accountability in all areas of your life. Some people are going to be looking at you crazy and saying, what do you mean grace accountability? And you can explain it to them. And you can invite them to church, get a cup for them and for you because they've never been here to hear this message and start there. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, if a cup is placed in your hand or a cup of water given in your name, 
given to someone who's thirsty. You said that we've done it unto you. And Heavenly Father, if we've hoarded, then we've not done unto others with the resources you asked us to do with. Heavenly Father, I don't believe you asked us to take an oath of poverty. I think you asked us to take you and your word. That you would open up the storehouses of heaven if we would put you first in everything. That there would be an abundance that you could not stop pulling. Heavenly Father, you promised us that. But we live distant from that promise in our lives because we're so here and now. This world has got us in that spirit of mammon saying that it's all about what we have right now, not later. And so some of us don't even have invested in a savings account or a retirement fund because that's later. And we even mismanage our finances here, Heavenly Father. So why would we ever think that we would be banking on an eternity with You if we're not even banking on a retirement here or a rainy day fund? Heavenly Father, help us to examine these things. Examine us, search us, and try us. See if there's any wicked way within us and lead us in the way everlasting. We pray that even as King David did. Amen.